Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of a brand new podcast being launched by Unified Beer Works called Liquid People. My name is Andrew Beam. My name is Josh White. Coming in with his best radio voice. Oh, that was not the best radio voice. If you want the best radio voice, get ready. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, he's going to try a few different things out, I think, throughout uh, different episodes that we do just here. Just going to listen back and be like, no, that one played. That one played. That, that'll be the one that works. I'm just going to go with my regular talking yeah. voice. I generally think it works. Sometimes I yell. I don't know if I'll do it as much on this podcast, the other podcast that I have. but I'm going to go for nothing but gravitas. <laughs> Good. Uh, so anyways, uh, you... May notice Josh as he's running around, making sure everything's running smoothly around here. Uh, in a lot of ways, he keeps us, me, a beer tender, who you may have seen. If you don't know who I am, I have a lot of hair. <laughs> I think that's really the best way to describe whether it's a beard or long and a hair. Bills, a Bills brim. Yeah, usually sometimes a Bills brim, sometimes something sporting Bills. We probably talked about the Bills before. If you're listening to this, uh, but yeah. So, anyways, this is the first episode that we are doing with this. Uh, called Upstate Unified. The whole purpose of it really for us is to, one, have a new way of sort of interacting with customers, uh, with people within the beer community, but also, two, it's just sort of an excuse to talk to some of our friends or new friends, I guess you could say. Make some friends along the way. Make some friends along the way to really talk about the craft beer community in upstate New York, which I feel is... Dare I say, you know, I think it's one of the best in the country. It's booming. It's booming. Uh, no, we have a lot of great craft breweries around here. We all sort of work together. A lot of people know each other. So why not just try and bring everyone together and have a conversation in a podcast? And and through this, we'll, we'll be just talking not just with our, uh, our brewery friends, but also with restaurateurs, acquaintances, People that Possible, are, you know, different vendors liquid, too. Liquid people, yeah. Different vendors that we work with. I mean, there's a lot of different people that contribute to our brewery in general, whether it be like the flowers that you see outside, uh, you know, maybe some of the artwork, what have you, that, you know, we're going to want to talk to and, and sort of what sort of craft beer, what the craft beer scene here means to them. And as Josh mentioned, restaurateurs, bar owners, what have you, they're a big part of this community because if not for them, the masses, many of you wouldn't be drinking our beers or you wouldn't have been introduced to our our beers here had it not been for those people. That's sort of the purpose of what we want to do with this podcast. But then also what we want to do is even talk a little bit about what we actually have going on at the brewery. Obviously, we got some new beers coming out. So, Josh, do you want to tell them what are some of the new beers that they're going to be able to find now, possibly upcoming? Uh, or at least maybe even give them a sense. Do we even want to give them a taste? Absolutely not, because here's what happens. Anytime I tell anybody about anything that's coming up, something goes wrong. <laughs> I try and tell that to customers. They're like, hey, do you have this particular beer? Is this is this one coming out? And I know that it's in one of our tanks. It's fermenting. There's, I'm, I'm not superstitious, but there's a thing that anytime I, even like with sales, like pre-selling to an outside account, if I tell somebody something, hey, I don't have sour now, but I got this coming out tomorrow. Usually it's still salvageable, but something goes wrong where it's, well, sorry, it's going to have to be next week. 
Okay, or, maybe you know, maybe not preview like, yeah. anything then. But what can they expect when they come to the tap room? Is there anything that's that that has you excited about some of the beers that we have right now? Well, you might see some construction going on first of all. There is that. There is that. It's not a thing that you can really not notice because yeah. generally you come in and you look directly at this giant chalkboard. Yeah, filled. the big the big chalkboard is uh, a little obfuscated right now. People still look at it. Yeah. There are a lot of people that, they're squinting. squinting. I don't know why they're squinting past it. I don't know if they were squinting before because it's in big letters. Yeah. But, uh, but what's going on there? We are putting, installing a uh, little, the kitchen at Unified. I, think, I, think I like that, that working title. At the least. kitchen, the kitchen unified. Yeah, that's definitely a working title. Uh, I know. I was talking with so Michelle Hunter, who you may have also seen behind the bar as well, serving you all the delicious beers that we have. She's going to help manning that, uh, and she has a name for it. I think she called it the kitchen station or something. I called it the service station. That's incorrect. <laughs> Apparently. I don't know the lingo, I guess, as much as in restaurants. You may know it a little better than I do since you were kind of more around the restaurant scene than I, I was. That, that, I mean, yeah, my entire life before the brewery before scene. Here. Yeah. yeah, fair enough. But uh, what's going to be going on there? Uh, we're going to have a lot of fun stuff, uh, mostly revolving around tacos and salads and all that, and uh, try to, uh, you know, just have, have good, have, 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 have food. Yeah, we want to have food. We know that's a one thing that either people will either try and bring their food in here or sometimes we have food trucks. Sometimes we've had many of you have seen smoking the good stuff. They've been here quite a bit with their delicious barbecue treats for all of us. Uh, but, you know, we're going to be trying to do our own thing and letting Michelle work her magic. Michelle, formerly uh, executive chef up at Hamilton Ghost. Maybe you saw her on an episode of Chopped where she won it. Spoiler alert! Well, it was. It was Is like it a three, spoiler? No, it's three years ago. You yeah, I was going to say. It. I haven't seen it by then. I gotta believe like it's been written about in newspapers around it, it here. It had been publicized. It had yeah. been publicized. If you don't know, I mean, that's that's at least it was I mean, spoiled that, for me. That'd be like me spoiling that the Bills didn't win the postseason last year. So, anyways, moving on. So, obviously, those are some of the things that are kind of going around on around the brewery. And with this episode that we're going to get into, though, is kind of touching on sort of what we talked about earlier with the collaboration, the craft beer scene around here. We're going to have on our very own Erica Anderson, owner, co-founder, brewer here at Unified Beer Work. We will have Meg Veltman from Indian Ladder Farm Cidery and Brewery. She does some of the communications for the brewery. She's the tasting room manager. She wears many hats, it appears, at said brewery and cidery. We're also going to have Pam Pradeshit Demler, co-founder and owner of Bound by Fate out in Schuylerville. Uh, she also does sort of, you know, she basically runs the business part of that brewery over there. She's going to be on. They make up the upstate chapter of the Pink Boot Society, which is meant to not the, only... The leadership group. The, the leadership upstate. group. There's a lot, lots of members already. Oh, yeah, man. And, and yeah, so that basically that group is meant to promote, highlight... Uh, give shine to women in, I guess, the fermented liquid industry. Correct. Not just beer. Right. And, so, And while we peel back the curtain in these podcast episodes of, you know, what goes on behind the scenes in the brewing world, quick little behind the scenes of podcast world, we already had the conversation as we're talking. Oh, now. God. This is supposed to be well, like... Well, I wanted to let them know that uh, we are, at Unified, yes. are... 
pretty much out of the Think Pink. By the time you hear this, we will yeah. be out of the Think Pink Drink Pink, a beer, a Pink Boots beer that is mentioned in the episode. Right. But it uh, probably can still be found at a lot of good places around here, including the uh, Bound by Fate, Indian Ladder Farm, Cidery and Brewery. Uh, I would assume Common Roots would have would have a good amount of it because it was brew, it was made there. Correct. On their awesome, beautiful system. Yep. Yes, uh, those locations might have some of the beer, but that doesn't mean that the Pink Boot Society isn't constantly doing things, that they don't have a lot more activities, a lot more stuff going on that we're going to see the fruits of in the future. So thank you to them for coming on and having the conversation with us, talking about not only what they've done, what led them to creating this group, but also what to look forward to in the future. So I think we should just get into that conversation. Let's get into it. All right. It's fine. We're gonna we're totally mature and can handle mature. this whole situation. Mature adults. You guys are killing in front of we're professional <laughs> women. I guess what we could do though is introduce who we're being joined by right now. Uh, currently, we're being joined by Erica Anderson, uh, co-founder and co-owner of Unified Beer Works. It was a big get for us. Huge get. Yeah. Not at all our <laughs> boss or in any way uh, in control of our at least working lives. Uh, and then this one I know I had to go over with her. Uh, Pam Prodichit Demler. That is correct. Oh, yes. Well done. Co-founder of Bound by Fate Brewing, and also you do a little bit of, I guess, accounting, finances, I less sort of on that end, if I'm getting that correctly. Yeah, I run for the business, the, Bob. There we go. You say, just, that's more than a little bit. It's quite a bit. That's a lot of it's bit. Quite a, it's quite a bit. Yeah. It's not something that I could ever handle personally. And then also being joined by Megan Veltman, who, oh, yeah. who is, I guess, also with tasting room manager, but also whole bunch of other stuff as yeah. well. Do the marketing communications. Yeah, small businesses. You get all the hats. <laughs> yes. So doing all the, But all in conjunction, you guys are co-founders of the Upstate Pink Boots Society chapter. Yes. Which I know we're going to be talking about a little bit. Uh, actually, quite a lot of it sort of kind of as we go forward with this. But what I wanted to touch on is, and I know that some people have heard your guys' stories, but we haven't on this new podcast thing that we're starting here. So I guess, Erica, I know you come from a corporate world. Mm-hmm. You were doing HR in the corporate world. Uh, no, or, well, I wasn't in HR, but I was leading a department, so I had to talk to aha. HR quite a bit. Well, so you at least dealt with HR. But yes. you were, so you were heading a department, at least in the corporate world. Yeah. Either way, this is sort of a big shift. If you mind just kind of telling us a little bit here, first off, what got you into craft beer, and then what? how did that lead into starting and founding a brewery? So I honestly, and I'm going to show my age a little bit here, I got into craft beer back in the 90s when uh, Brown's Brewing was open. And Brown and Mar- actually going back to Brown and Moran, so that's, I don't even know when in the 90s, but... I was old enough to drink, um, and I, before that, did not like beer at all, because in college, you're drinking what? all the, the nasty. Well, my father drank Meisterbrow, and that was not good. You just drank it to get drunk, basically. 
Uh, I don't even Friends know what that bar, is. So we, oh, God. It's, it, don't. Nope. Um, then if you were at a friend's house, they might have OB splits in their fridge, and we would sneak those and get drunk off those. So it, it was, there was garbage around back then. When, and this is like late 80s. So then go into the, the mid-90s, and, you know, Brown and Moran was around, and then Brown's Brewing was open, and um, I, I was like, wow, this, this is actually really tasty. I thoroughly enjoyed beer all of a sudden, and that was all I was getting, uh, instead of drinking shitty wine, too. And so yeah, I, I still didn't, I, you know, that was way before I was looking to get into craft beer. I was just interested in drinking it at that stage in the game. I remember going to the Ale House in Troy, and uh, they had Sierra Nevada. That was the first time I had Sierra Nevada, again, back in the 90s, and I thought it was great. And so anyway, one thing led to another. I'm still in corporate world, growing, you know, going up the ladder, all that nonsense. And more and more, the older I got, the more I wanted to do something for myself. And, you know, Jeff also had that same itch. We just didn't know what it was gonna be. And then Common Roots had opened up, and we were friends with the Weber family already because Jeff and I had done Iron Man with Burt Weber, um, so got to know him really well, and had talked to Christian a bit about you know the business and what it was like and all that stuff. And we started homebrewing, and we fell in love with it. I I actually had gotten a kit for Jeff for Christmas, um, and I was like, here, have fun with this. You you do this. He was like, I want to do this. I you go get off. Into, yeah. We, yeah. Do, like, do your thing. I'm going to do this. This will be your fun garage. project. Yeah. I'm not going to, you know, whatever. And then I helped him with it, and I loved it. And I was like, well, I think I kind of might do some of this, too. And I asked him about brewing sour. He said, no. Ew. He hated sours. <laughs> hated them with a passion. That sounds about right. He was all about the hazies. He wanted to make stouts, all that stuff. And I'm like, well, fine. F you. I'm going to make my own beer. So I did. I figured all that stuff out. I actually the first beer I made was Saison and then I started making kettle sours and it just it just kind of grew from there. And friends of ours liked our beer and then we started handing it out to craft beer bars and they were handing it out to customers that we had no idea who those people were and they all thought the beer was really good and we're like maybe we have a shot at this. Do you have any disaster tales from the uh the early days of your first saison not being a saison or anything <laughs> or, or 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 the bugs in the sour not I actually, actually infecting right? so actually i got pretty lucky with all the kettle sours that i did i never had to let me think about this there had to have been one that i dumped yeah there was one that i definitely dumped because it yeah it something else got in there and it smelled kind of like baby vomit which you know your husband, Scott, could probably tell the actual, like, chemical compound that smells like that. The minute you said that. It's like and butyric I was like, acid oh, yeah, or something no, like that. I know, yeah. Yeah, it's no. vile. It's the worst smell in the world. It's a great smell. No, it's terrible. Mm-hmm. Oh, I used no, to it's it. fucking awful. <laughs> it's absolutely awful. Um, so, yeah, the, that that happened in the entire house. Because re- I was like, well, maybe this is normal. This is early on. And the entire house, after I boiled it off smelled like vomit whole house and jeff is like why why did you don't don't do that again <laughs> well hey it's a I'm scent you can't get a yankee know. candle so why not do your own 
God, I hope that's never a scent from Yankee Candle. Kind of hope awful. it is, though. That'd no. be fun. It's a good prank, maybe. <laughs> okay. That is a good prank. You're right. You're not wrong about that at all. Yeah. Have your friends over, light a candle, put it in the bathroom. Try to, yeah. Like, don't even say anything about it. I'd put it Just in the living room. Well, I and felt- see, see what their face looks like when they come out of the bathroom. It's also a great way to get people to leave your house. Like, if you have a really gross candle, like, when you're ready for everyone That's to go, you light idea. the candle. And then it's like, people are like, well, I don't want to say, does your house all of a sudden smell like vomit? It's like, well, maybe I should go home now. <laughs> I don't even want to bring it up. <laughs> That's a great idea. Yeah. We just tried playing Nickelback okay. or Buck Cherry, but sometimes it that backfires. It does not work. No. Mm-hmm. It does not work. The yeah. candle As will we work. Know. Oh, yeah. The candle, I think, would definitely work. Yeah. Yeah. No, I could see that. Mm-hmm. Right on. And then now we're obviously in the lovely... We're actually inside said brewery that we you guys are. have built now. Yes, yes, yes. I yeah, mean, so, I mean, one thing led to another. We, we talked to bankers. We got them to say yes, thankfully. Uh, yeah. And then it all just happened. But what I'm kind of curious then is, like, there's a love of homebrew and then there's a love of, you know, or there's that want to open up your own space. Like, what was it fine? I mean, probably in the jobs you guys had, like, most people were probably saying to you, what? You're going to do what? Like, in ter- yeah. or at least maybe parents, I have no idea. I know my parents would be like, you're going you're gonna to leave what you're doing to, mm-hmm. to do this. Mm-hmm. Okay. But what was it where you're just like, screw it like what what made you be like we're done with the jobs that we have here let's so let's do this for me um i i had had an initial corporate job about god 25 years ago now is when i would have started that um and i was there for 10 years and they had been acquired several times as what happens in corporate land and each time there was the set of layoffs and you just kind of got used to that happening. And then when I got into management, they expected me to be handling those layoffs. And they, they give you these percentages of like, oh, well, you know, you have to save this amount of money. We don't care how you do it, but do it by X date. Like, okay, great, that sounds fun. So it. It just happened perpetually over and over again. And then they started sending jobs outside of the US and they sent me to Costa Rica to actually do training, which the people of Costa Rica are absolutely lovely. And Costa Rica is an absolutely stunning country. Um, And I I made a lot of friends there, but it was not, it was, and then they laid a bunch of people off right before Christmas. And I'm like, I gotta get out of here. So I went to the next corporate job and it started out great because it was a small company, but they too went through the same trajectory. And then they started laying off a lot of people and, and they wound up um, hiring outsourcing to India, which a lot of places are doing now as well. And again, I, I never actually went to India, but because uh, we were actually in the process of doing this, but it was sort of hush hush at the time. Nobody knew at my work. And uh, I was like, yeah, I'm not, I can't go to India. Like, I'm just, I'm not going. So you guys, you guys can send all these other people because I think they're gonna be really good at it and whatever. And that's just kind of what happened. And then I was like, hey guys, I'm leaving. (laughs) That's pretty dope. And I learned everything that I learned to run this place and manage people and deal with HR things and, you know, accounting, all of that stuff, I learned from corporate world. I mm-hmm. never would have been as well positioned to do this based off of that experience, if I hadn't have had that experience, I should say. Because I think that 
as glamorous as brewery owner sounds. There's people don't look at like, oh, but it's actually running a business and managing it day to day and mm-hmm. seeing how things work. Mm-hmm. And I think some of the so much of the success of like Unified is that you guys have such a great strong pairing of both like your beers are incredible, but with that background, mm-hmm. you actually think about all of those things, the strategy, the operations, the people power, which mm-hmm. I think is often like the place where small businesses who are really passionate, like they're passionate chefs or they're passionate brewers, like sometimes fundamentally lack the back office stuff to make a successful business thrive and sustain. So mm-hmm. I think that you bring so much of that to the table. Well, Pam, that kind of brings us sort of to you, I think, in a way then, because you have that background as well. Yeah. Uh, you, you, I mean, from at least what I what I was doing in terms of the small amount of research I did on you. Um, Thank you for Googling, Andrew. <laughs> You know, LinkedIn. Another word for stalking. Yeah. Research. LinkedIn. LinkedIn pages too is always helpful. Um, yeah. If you get someone that looked at your profile today and it's me without the hair and the large beard. Yeah. Similar name. Uh, but no, I know that you. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, though. You have a background in sort of finance and accounting, and and I, I'm, I'm assuming that bled over into a little bit of what you're doing now with Bound by Fate. But if you don't mind, kind of just telling me then, what was it? that got you from that world and the skills that you learned there into doing this and owning your own craft brewery. I mean, I love Erica's story. And I mean, I think it's so important that we all work together, but sometimes we never start from like the beginning, you know, the roots Uh and like how one's journey. Cause I think because the craft beer industry is so relatively new um, to this country as a whole, like people come by way of so many different fields and you find that across. Um, I think similar to Erica, like falling in love with craft beer. I mean, I grew up in the Mecca, which I will say is not going to be the Mecca for long. I think New York has California cornered, but I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area. Oh, I thought you were talking about like Vermont or Maine or something (laughs) like that. No, no, California. Yeah, where do you think Um, all those 90s beers came from? Exactly. God, I can't say something sarcastic. Jesus. All right, fine, guys. Sarcasm doesn't fly with me. I guess it (laughs) goes, I'm like an immigrant. It goes in when I'm like, what? What? Are you being serious or sincere? Um, Yeah, and you know, it's funny because I will say, don't tell my husband, but my love of beer really came from wine. Like, I love wine and I grew up in wine country and I think Russian Rivers Sours were the thing that got me hooked. Well, yeah. Yeah, on like craft beer and the potential for craft beer across multiple markets but honestly it's a similar similar trajectory like my husband Brett who's um you know one of our owners was a home brewer managed a homebrew shop for a decade before we moved out here um but this is a beer family I married into I did not cho- choose so we may all know my brother-in-laws <laughs> the famous Demler brothers so Ryan Demler for a decade started this off right he went to McGill and said oh if I I'm drinking so much beer. If I could make it, it would be cheaper. And that's the way Ryan works is he gets an idea and then he goes hard, like 200%. Um, and he's a fantastic brewer and spent his, you know, a decade working here in the capital region and across New York. Um, and for years, we'd go to the beach every year and have family meetings about how one day we're going to open a brewery. One day, every year, we talk about this. And Ryan always, you know, this is, if you heard his speech at CBC, he's always preaching on the pulpit of a million dollars that breweries are always undercapitalized when they start and it caused all these issues long term and you need to have a million dollars you need to have a million dollars or you're never going to open a brewery and we're like we don't have a million dollars ryan um and so you know we we just dreamed about this and we talked about it and we ran excel sheets and we thought about it and like living in california we thought that was going to be where we would open our brewery in the bay area 
Um, and for a lot of reasons, you know, we had to move back home to Brett's home and coming back to upstate New York, you know, a few years ago to be closer to family, raise our kids. We found a place and a space to like put some roots down. We found an amazing taproom location and we bought a house big enough for three generations, a cottage for Uncle Evan um, and a barn for the brewery. <laughs> and honestly, that's how it started. We we're like, this is the place. This is the time. We don't have a million dollars, so let's see how much we can raise, and let's just do this now. Um, and I think, and that now was a grand opening six weeks before COVID. Yeah. And so, you know. <laughs> I wanted to ask about yeah, that. This story, but, uh-huh. it's funny, because you asked about me, and I went straight to the Demler Brothers. That's how the beer part started. But the reason why in 2019 we incorporated it as a brewery was because I was on maternity leave. And I was running a large um, national education policy nonprofit. And I had six months leave. And we're like, if Pam, if we can use Pam's leave time to be the brainchild and do all of the startup for this, raise the money, build the systems, get it all going. Raise um, a child, yeah. Raise a child, right. Because, you know, leave is all about, you know, having Mm -hmm. all this spare time. Um, That's the way that we think about that. I thought that too, yeah. Uh Yeah. But it was, I mean, for our family, it was like Pam is six, six months off work. And in that six months, we incorporated, got everything going. And it was really interesting because we started our brewery with a tenth of what it should have been um, by liquidating our, all, my, all of our savings um, and um, asking our in-laws to not pay the mortgage for a little bit and living, you know, living with them and getting started where all the owners didn't take a pay check. And we just got going. We moved across the country where we had all of Brett's homebrew equipment and his crazy ass little pony. He took all his homebrew equipment, but I couldn't bring my furniture from California. I'm still <laughs> pissed about this. Um, and that's how we started. It's good that still comes up. Yeah, yeah every yeah. day. Yeah, every day. Every day. Ooh. 26 corny kegs. We don't use a single one of those goddamn things. 26? 26 corny kegs in our little pod. Is this the first time today Jesus. this is being brought up? Because you said daily, but yeah. I wasn't sure if it got brought up this morning. This being brought up today, for the record. Um, there and, needs to be a yeah. beer in the future called California Furniture. Yes, I know. Oh, right? yeah. My beautiful, beautiful. Anyways, oh, so many uh. things I mourn. Um, if we could just do a separate episode on just the furniture you yeah. left behind. Yeah, the I lost their names. May they rest in peace. And, you know, it was really fun. Yeah, so we started brewing on his homebrew equipment with Uncle Evan Slangin behind the bar and us brewing in the barn. And, like, the five-year business plan was Pam kept her fancy job with health insurance and a six-figure salary to keep the family going. I would never mm-hmm. have to t- have to make the brewery work financially for five years to get us started. Mm-hmm. Um, and then COVID hit, and I lost my job. Um, and so that's when we were like, okay, because we're not risk adverse. We're all people. I love health insurance. I'm an immigrant. I like health insurance. I like a paycheck. <laughs> I like knowing that I'm going to pay rent. I love uh-huh. all of that. And yeah. so, and as you all know who work in the beer industry we are the happiest and poorest people there are Mm -hmm. like craft beer is not a money maker no um you're running a factory and a tap room and you got to make it work and it's hard um and so that's really like that's really the finances of it we got started with way less money than anyone could ever imagine um we blew out of all of our beer the first two weeks of opening and we're woefully unprepared that our one barrel system couldn't handle it um and so we've just ever since then started to make it work because now 
it has to sustain the family. And now we've all doubled and tripled down on it. Um, so yeah, over the years, through, through the last two years of COVID, we've expanded the tap room, built the kitchen, hired staff, um, and just kept things moving. And we're expecting our brand new brew house, our little Fraunhofer Traveler, any day now. Woohoo! Ooh. So we're excited about that. That's exciting news, yeah. then. Yeah, yeah, right we're, we're a real brewery now. <laughs> That's right. You yeah. have been a real brewery. <laughs> and it's, it's interesting how, so Jeff and I left our jobs by choice. You know, yeah. Jeff, <laughs> Jeff, <laughs> Jeff had a little bit of a blow up at a meeting. And he came home and told me about it. And I was like, all right, you got to put your notice in. I'll keep my job. I'll keep the health insurance. We'll do the things and whatever. You can't have said all the shit you just said and keep that job. Correct. (laughs) Yeah. I was joking, but okay. You can't burn burn bridges just in case this thing burns into a huge disaster. But, you know. So, yeah. And then a couple months later, I was like, I have so much going on that it's sink or swim. I mm-hmm. need to make that decision and just give up all the things that, that Pam said, you know, the health insurance, the big salary, like all that stuff. And we got to all chips in and mm-hmm. we got to make it happen. I can't imagine what it was like from the perspective of you're doing this or not because you have no choice. Yeah. You lost your job because yeah. of the pandemic. Like, oh. I know. It was It was the best decision ever. I would never have chosen this pathway Mm because I think I'm too risk adverse and so much rests on a family like many. But I think that it was chosen for me, double down and triple down, which is why we get to, you know, we are like doing pink boots. We get to do all of this other really exciting, Mm -hmm. creative part of the work because, you know, I don't have a full time gig pulling me away. Yeah. Yeah. Blessing and a curse. What did Jeff say to me when I walked in? He said, I, he said, how you doing? I said, living the dream. He says, you know what I tell people? Nightmares are also dreams. <laughs> and I said, so true, Jeff. It's this sunny so disposition true. on life yeah, that so makes us all love him. Little nugget, true. little nugget yeah. of brilliance. So Meg, I want to ask you because, uh, so uh, you guys all have varying backgrounds and you, you worked a lot with, and correct me if I'm wrong, like at-risk youth or just kind of working a lot with, with, with a lot of children, just doing social services in, yeah. in a lot of ways what how did you get folded into sort of the the craft beer world with Indian Ladder so I worked in like a social work aspect from right out of college actually before college because I was doing after school stuff in high school until maybe probably only eight years ago now um and I loved it I wanted to help everyone um I am a huge empath like I wanted to change the community I worked for a lot of organizations in this area and it got to be so numbers focused like it wasn't about helping I wasn't helping anyone I was just getting to a place where the corporation would be like oh good you helped them we can knock them off the list and it was so disheartening and like is very stressful and as you can imagine, it also led me to be drinking a lot. So I got really into. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I got, I was a drinking and craft beer was like the stress relief. And mostly, I mean, I now hate untapped, but that's really how I got to love beer was tracking beers and going, oh, I really like this style. These are the styles I like. These are the breweries I like and kind of figuring out what I enjoyed as like a side hobby. And I was living in Troy at one point and when Rare Form opened up, I fell in love and I thought that was gonna be my dream job, working for Rare Form. 
Um, and I had even talked to Kevin about it. It was one of those things that like maybe down in the future would work out. And then I met this dreaded brewer who uh, <laughs> dreaded like hair, not yeah. dreaded like feared. Yeah. yeah. No, not dreaded. Yeah. Well, not feared. No, nobody. I don't. I mean, Scott. no one's scared of him. He is a teddy bear. Um, and he wore me down into loving him. Uh, <laughs> Wait, hold, hold how many years did that take? <laughs> wow, it's so romantic. And now I don't know if like dreaded was not <laughs> this know. dual meaning thing. Yeah, I he really, wore me down. I really enjoyed being single. I was really good at. It. Um, <laughs> and he was like, "No, we're gonna date." And I was like, "I don't have time for this." And he was, and he did not take that answer. So three months later, I finally went on a date with him and officially fell in love. And he was working uh, in Albany at that point at the pump station, and he had been talking to Dieter for years. Dieter was gonna open this brewery, so Dieter had just opened Indian Ladder Farms Cider and Brewery. But it wasn't big enough yet that they could afford a brewer. They had some guy who was an RPI engineer come once a month and brew beer. And sometimes it was not a great system. Um, <laughs> so, okay. uh, yeah, it was a little, you know, touch and go in the beginning. But uh, once they finally got to a point where they could put Scott on full time, they were drawing him there but before that because he was trying to woo, I don't know who was wooing who Dieter or Scott I don't know it's a lo- it's a love fest um, it can be a mutual wooing I think yeah. right you can yeah. do that yeah, but I, I was so. spending all of my free time there because Scott was like this is the brewer I'm gonna work out and so I, I'm just like at one point I'm like can I just get paid to be here because <laughs> I I'm not having a weekend otherwise and so I started out part-time and I fell so in love with it like I knew I loved craft beer I knew I loved that world uh Scott and I had talked in the very beginning stages of dating of opening a brewery and I thank the lord every day we didn't do it it sounds really stressful to own a brewery <laughs> oh, does it? I'm sorry there's not two people that may have done that themselves sitting here it's fine it's fine and no. they're stressing out as you talk yeah um <laughs> Yeah. yeah. What's breaking? I, <laughs> What's breaking right now? It's really nice to be just below the tier so I can see I have a I have a lot of roles and responsibilities and I'm super emotionally invested, but I am not as financially invested, which is a stress reliever. It is Yeah, you have the viewing glass kind of thing. Yeah. You get to see everyone make the donuts, you just don't have to actually like be a part yeah. Yeah, it's a lot to own a brewery. And I think that people don't I mean Scott always jokes, he's like, We could own a brewery and I'm like, We would be divorced. <laughs> <laughs> We could not own a brewery together. It would not work. Like, I'm in awe of any couple that can make it work because it's a lot. I, We're yeah, currently I mean, in couples counseling as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because, like, so we are. Furniture, though. Yeah, we are. Yeah, right. It's only about furniture. It has nothing to do with the actual business itself. I mean, so we are actually uh, recording this within the tap room of Unified Beer Works. So all the noises that you hear in, back, in the background is just. Erica's anxiety uh, yeah, just anything yes. that's possibly going on back noise? there. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Is payroll done? Yeah. Is payroll done? Yeah, I that's, know it's done that's because I, I finished it this morning. Oh, well, I'm <laughs> so sorry. Fair enough. I'm not stressing about that one. Right on. Um, yeah, so, I mean, the one thing, too, that with, with all of you guys, too, having you here on this podcast, as much as, like, you guys all know each other, you guys are friends, work in the same industry, one of the big things about all three of you, too, and just really, I think, think within upstate New York is there's this wonderful wonderful sense of community with within the brewing industry and I always think it's funny where it's like 
you know, if we're, if say I'm wearing or, or, you know, Sarah Lopez, who's also sort of one of our beer tenders here as well, longtime uh, member of the Unified Family, we're wearing something of a different brewery where the common roots, I know she was wearing like a night shift one. It's like, oh, you're wearing the stuff from your competitors. But at, like as much as that could be true, I do kind of feel like there's still this need or this want to collaborate. So I guess, Erica, for, for you, what does that look like? What does the collaboration look like or just that clever collaboration versus like, you know, competitor and competitive nature within upstate New York? What does that look like to you or, or what does it even mean to you sort of in that stage? I think I think one of the biggest examples of collaboration that I've ever seen was we were we had only been open for six months uh, and the fire happened at Common Roots. And this was still when I had my corporate job. And there were a few of us that, that either used to work there or still worked there in the tap room that put our heads together. We're like, all right, we have to do something. We absolutely have to do something. So we formed this little committee and decided to put on a couple events and all that. And I was in charge of the beer. And I could not get over how ready and willing everyone was in the industry who people who don't even have a clue who I am because we're only six months old they're like yes yeah how how do I help how do I make this happen and that quite frankly that was a month before I left my other job and that was one of the biggest driving forces was seeing how powerful that collaboration was and how powerful the the love in this community is I was like, I need to be part of this full-time, 100%, no questions asked. It's unlike anything else. And I feel like it it just keeps going because now that we have pink boots, I feel like, like I never feel, especially with any of the people that are within pink boots and, and their respective breweries, I don't feel like we have competition. I feel like we actually have a family and it feels even more powerful and close-knit it's I, yeah it's just incredible to me I think the thing that I would add to that is um you know unlike Erica who did a fantastic job with their business plan was like fine got the financing to start up unified did a lot of due diligence was like brewing ahead of time and what for us with every brewery around it's like all right pivot how do we keep our doors open how do we keep this engine running we had no way to package beer And so this is about like, you know, what is craft beer, Jeff? What is it? 1% or 4% of the beer market. It's like, this is why ultimately like craft beer is not, we don't think of it as, I don't think of it from a strategy standpoint as a business operation competitors, because there's so much, you know, like the competitor is like Bud Light, right? We're just working for such a tiny fraction of the market that's hyper-localized that I feel like collaboration makes it possible like you don't we don't see we're you know 20 miles north we don't see each other as like as we have to work and steal their employees we're gonna like if you make good beer if you're making better beer that makes this region a destination for craft beer lovers and there's so much of the market to go around 
And I think for us, like Kevin at Rare Form, mm-hmm. that Megan represents, he, he was like, come on down, come use my crowler machine. We brought our last few kegs. We crowlered beer to stay open that first weekend after shutdown. And we set up a lemonade stand outside and we flagged cars down and sold it that way. I went to that lemonade yes, stand, yeah. Yes, Uncle Evan, waving cars <laughs> down. And then our he's Aunt Teresa. I know, he's right. really Dude, I've been like, oh, seriously. He's like one of those human um, waving <laughs> machines. With but a giant beard. He just smiled. And wait, and people were like, I didn't know what the hell you were selling, but like, I had to pull over because I felt so sorry for him. <laughs> and I was like, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, you know. And I was then, wondering about Aunt Teresa though, because I, I so I was listening to the WMC interview yeah. and I heard the nod to Aunt Teresa. Yeah. And, and then you know, our Aunt Tia, she she came and she was like, you guys have to stay open. You just opened, so she bought us a crowler machine, and she's like get your beers in cans and then it was like common we were cleaning our kegs at common roots and then we were doing collaborate i mean it was literally like without i would say without rare form like unified and common roots we wouldn't have made it through the first year and that's you know that's i think what people tend to not understand about beer because it is consumed you know in one two maybe ten minutes um in a pint glass is that how much effort energy ingredients love and operations it actually takes to take that thing from concept and recipe to get to your glass it is it is like to the mass market it is unlike you know they just think oh this is a delicious glass of beer but you have no idea the multiple steps that take the supply chain disruptions all of the mm-hmm. things and so you know to megan's point when she's like i hate untapped it's like it's really really disheartening for us, when you're like, oh, that's just not my style, but with two clicks, you can rate something, and you're like, right. bruh, like, do you know how much energy, love, and commitment, and money it took to make that glass of beer? Yeah. And so, yeah, I think collaboration is one of the best parts um, about the industry, because people come from all likes, like walks of life, all these different places and spaces, but the shared love, and also knowing that we have such a tiny sliver of the market, there's like plenty to plenty to go we're not stealing from each other we're you know we kind of want to move the needle from Coors Light Uh I feel like there's like an excitement too when you hear breweries that you love and enjoy have gotten together to like brew a beer together like I did like kind of like you said I feel like that that creates a bit of excitement as well Uh yeah Scott used to they used to brew this beer and we're trying to bring it back called too many cooks and yeah yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah. Sweet. You may or may not have heard Jeff Mannion's uh, voice in the background from from Unified as well. He, he 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 is here, not even just in spirit, but physically. But the concept is beautiful. It's literally just all of these brewers. I think the last time they did it, they had about twenty different brewers come together to brew one beer. And basically, they all dump a little bit of malt in or water. I think it was water they poured in last time. They each brought a bottle of water from their own brewery, and that was the collaboration. And that but is it, adorable. That's it fantastic. Is. But it is such a, I mean, it's a huge community. Scott always says we're on the same team, and we really are. This isn't, I don't think anyone goes into brewing to be like, I'm going to be the number one brewing. They go into it because they love and have a passion to make the beer. No, that's fair enough. And uh, so the one thing that I was curious about, too, I saw this just sort of with reading the Times Union article that was done way back about, uh, or it might have been about sort of Pink Boots, but uh, Pam and Meg, you, or at least you guys, or at least your breweries, work together, too, on a different level. Uh, marketing and equipment is sort of, it was just sort of, like, mentioned, but do you mind kind of expanding on it a little? Like, what did that look like? I mean, what does that look like sort of in terms of, like, how you guys were able to work together? Or is that just wrong and not correct in the article? 
Oh, which which art which article? It was I forget which Times Union article it was. If it was back in September for Brave Noise, it might have been for the one that was in, uh, yeah. that might have been Brave Noise. But I mean, I think we. Well, I was we just were, curious yeah. about that one. That I mean, piqued honestly, my interest. So, like, if you think about like business operations for breweries, right? You have like a huge system. You have this tank space, and like sometimes it, you can calibrate based on supply demand, and like, but that's really fucking hard to do. Like, right. You can still projections out, don't yeah. make sense. Plus, we're in COVID. So I think I thought you know, we're post COVID. <laughs> <laughs> Some people think that maybe in Florida it's coming yeah. back. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, um, it is. Yeah. It but is. like you re- rest and rely upon other because you've put in all this infrastructure and money and like it's really um, interesting. So I think like yeah, sharing like equipment and tools and those things were like if as a small craft brewery you don't get to pay for a huge lab and like who has like all of this like analysis equipment or who has like tank I mean I think that there's so many opportunities to be able to do that within the industry um I would say for us we 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 definitely like talk to each other a lot about like I mean all kinds of things three-phase electric I mean they write like power systems and then also Mm -hmm. because we all are at some point we'll all have the traveler like Uh being able to like run a test batch or cross utilize like it's just really it's been really helpful obviously we're talking about collaboration which uh and just between all the different breweries upstate and a big item that all of you guys collaborated on was starting the upstate chapter of the pink boots society now when I was in craft beer, like, or at least sort of my first foray into working in craft beer, uh, you know, the brewer that I worked with did sort of these benefit beers for the Pink Boots Society. And I never knew, like, I, I knew that it was something that existed. I knew sort of what its purpose was. And for some reason, I just always kind of assumed that there was something in upstate New York for that particular, for, for, for that particular, uh, I guess, sort of that endeavor. Um, turns out not. And you guys got together to do that. So... Um, I guess I'm not sure who sort of wants to take this one, but when, like, I, obviously knowing that there was a need for it, like I know, uh, Meg, you and I kind of talked about this. New York City probably had a chapter for quite some time. Yeah. But and Upstate didn't. I tried didn't. to look up when New York City was founded and Buffalo. Right. And they keep that information secret. But I do know <laughs> that New York City was first and then Buffalo probably in the last 10 years or so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's right. But so... Obviously, knowing that there's a need, but what finally kind of sparked yeah, the why, now? why? Why were you guys all yeah, of a sudden why, like, Erica? we need to do this right <laughs> now? now? Like, oh, this yeah. is my fault. Yeah. <laughs> it was. I, See, that's the thing. I don't know who did it. My fault. Yeah. yeah, it is yeah. my fault. Last year during the pandemic, they uh, they held a virtual version of the New York State uh, Brewers Conference, and they asked me if I would be on a women in brewing panel, and in talking about women in brewing and some of the issues that we have being seen in the industry, it definitely lit a fire under me. And one, I think it was Ann Riley had asked me, you know, are you, are you thinking about opening a, a, or starting up a pink boots chapter up there? And I was like, you know, I, I want to, um, I want to look into it again, but they were very restrictive years ago. Like bet when we were brewery and planning, I tried to be a member and they, they were very limiting at the time. And I was like, pink you know, boots was, or yeah, pink boots was fascinating. And I'm not sure why that is. I don't know if they just didn't have the, the resources to support 
multiple chapters in each state, but they were trying to keep it down to one chapter per state. And they really only wanted people that were hyper local to that chapter to be able to join. So, and I don't know if it had to do with communication or, you know, just resources, communication resources in general. But anyway, um, so I, I did look into it again and lo and behold, they said, yeah, that, that totally makes sense. So if you can get your paperwork in by May, which is when we make the decisions, then, you know, we'll let you know. I'm like, all right, sweet. So this was at the end of March, I think. So I reached out to Pam and Megan and I said, you two are some of the most baller women that I know <laughs> in yeah, we are. upstate, you know, in the brewing industry. I'm less confident. And, <laughs> and I said, would you be willing to help me divide and conquer this? Because obviously upstate is a huge region. And, and would you be willing to help me kick this off? And they said yes. And we got our paperwork in. And They said yes. We would also like yes. to add more yes. work to our plate. Because why not? Why wouldn't you? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Yeah. I can't believe that's been a year now. I know. I also think it's wild that upstate, like, for a time, did actually encompass, like, western New York, too. Because when you speak it to it being a big region, like, oh, yeah, Rochester is also considered yeah. upstate. It's like, yeah. cool, when are we going to draw that line? Yeah. Central New York is going to be starting their own chapter. Oh, right on. So that will be that will be really good. You heard it here first. Yes. Maybe. Yeah, I think it's also like, you know, we were, I think if you're a woman, you know, a woman in like craft beverage or fermented beverage, it always can feel alone. Like I know that before Erica made that, that great glorious day and that phone call, I personally felt like there would be, you know, my husband was the one who was like, you should start Pink Boots here. And I was like, I ain't got time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that. We have a business around. We got three kids. That's crazy. Um, and I was just telling Megan outside before the podcast, I was like, you know what? I've been thinking about what to take off my plate. And I was kind of thinking like, oh, Pink Boots is like the, and I was like, but I can't because that's, this is like the one thing that I do right now that sort of sustains me and keeps me going and is like the joy, like something I look forward to. And it's interesting because it's not, it, it feel, it's a lot of work. It is a lot of work to coordinate a network, to get people going, to plan collaborations, to plan mm -hmm. events every month. We have a really big growing chapter. But like Lisa, who's the GM over at Indian Ladder said last week when we were at CBC, she goes, the first CBC I went to, there were two women, me and someone else. And last, in last week or two weeks ago at the conference, we took this picture. And what were there, like, 75? I, yeah, there had to be over oh, 50 plus yeah. women. That, and that wasn't all the women that were there. Right. That was just, just the women that showed up to the for, meeting. Meeting. for the meeting. Yeah. yeah. And it was like this, you know, the panel that Eric was on virtually, now we brought to real life. And it was the comment I heard every day or, like, after the session was, thank you so much. I just felt so seen. Like I finally felt like everything you guys were talking about like resonated with me. I had that same experience. And for so long, it felt like I was alone in this. And I think that that's sort of coming out of the pandemic is where we came from like in this evolution is like lit the fire to be like, let's get together, let's support one another. This is the time we, you know, it's the right time and place. And like, thank God we did, right? Like it's just been a really great year. So, but I guess what I'm kind of curious then too, sort of with that, yeah. like kind of referencing sort of like what the first CBC conference looked like. I mean, like Meg, when you kind of got into craft beer, mm -hmm. in terms of just 
being, uh, which is, this is wonderful that two men are sort of facilitating this conversation, but yeah. uh, <laughs> what, uh, what did the landscape look like for women to you within craft beer? Like, cause obviously we know with, with Brienne and what happened with, uh, you know, going on social media, going on Instagram, posting like, you know, what are your stories of harassment and what that led to, but what did it look like before you got into craft beer or as you were getting into craft beer for women? Oh, yeah. I mean, there are, especially because, I mean, in the Too Many Cooks, I don't think there was a single female brewer. There were so few female brewers, I would say even five years ago in this area, let alone female owners. And I think that we are getting so much bigger as women in the brewing industry. And I think that's why when Erica reached out to me, to be like, hey, are you interested in doing this? I'm like, oh, I can make a room full of women and get to hang out with them. This sounds so amazing because it has been a little overwhelming, just the male presence. Erica, for you too, I mean, what was it like for you kind of getting into, like also now kind of being a, a co-owner of, of a brewery too? What, what did you, did, was that even a thought that kind of crossed your mind? Like, being a woman like owning a brewery within the state within the industry or so when we first got started no absolutely not um but the the more we got involved with the business and then when i was fully immersed in the business it did become apparent to me that there was a huge lack of women in the industry in general and support for women um so, yeah, I, I, I feel like it's grown, and maybe it's just because I'm so close with Pink Boots, but it does feel like it, the momentum is growing exponentially, and I feel like the resources out there are much more in your face, I, at least I hope, for other women that are in the industry within upstate. Because we've been trying to put as big of an amplifier as we can on that, that, that this is available. If you, if you need somebody, we are here. We can help. I mean, I think nationally in terms of representation, less than 2% of breweries are all women-owned. Mm-hmm. Um, 52% yep. are all man, male-owned. And about a third are actually um, ha- half-identified as sort of half and half. And we think, you know, and I was talking to Dr. J about, like, anecdotally what that looks like and why that's the case is that craft beer is just sort of a hard... It's just a difficult business to enter to the market and it's relatively new. So when a family goes in, they go all in. Everybody has to participate, husbands, wives, grandma, grandpas, like we're all doing it together. And I think representation is still difficult. There's an imbalance front of house. There's a little bit more of a balance of a male to female around from the sales perspective. But on production side, there's definitely like less representation. I think there's a definitely a need for this support but I think it's also just like building awareness around a cultural shift like I know Erica talks a lot about time people assume she's not a brewer right that she's just an owner running the ops and doesn't realize that she's brewing all of the sours and the experiment and all the farm beers that are coming out of here I think that assumption runs deep throughout anyone so you're not only expected to sort of know what you're doing but then also represent on behalf of like an entire gender is like really difficult. And then I would say like, from my own experience, I always tell this story about when we were brewing planning, going to the board, you know, they were like, all right, so this guy, he's gonna make the beer and that other bearded guy, he's gonna sell the beer. What are you gonna do? And I'm like, 
I'm going to run the business, Bob. You do realize <laughs> that there's an entire operation to running a production facility, a front of house, a bar. You're running multiple business verticals. You're doing all of this advertising and marketing on a shoestring budget that, mm-hmm. like, without all of that detail planning, who's going to pay the bills? And who's also going to move the needle on... You know, Erica talked about her experience with management. So much of your job is actually spending time working with people and inspiring and leading teams to like sell this thing that you love mm-hmm. and you've put your whole, your entire family's security <laughs> on the line for. Um, you know what I mean? So like, it's just, I think there's a lot of, um, there's still a long way to go. Um, and we've only sort of chipped the, the start, but it's a great first start. Mm-hmm. So for the people at home or in their car, what, what are those events that you know, Pink Boots is putting together for the women in the industry? And, and what, like, well, give me some examples of the fun things or the, uh, the community-oriented things that you've been up to lately. I mean, we do all sorts of stuff. We have anything from kind of like a social gathering where that we had last week at City Beer Hall where we got everyone together to drink the beer that we just came out with, uh, Think Pink, Drink Pink. But we've also done educational place, uh, um, tours where we went down to Plan B and we got to see how their whole operation works. And they are so farm to glass. They make all, almost everything that they use in their beer on site. Uh, we've gone to Fraunhofer and learned how the equipment that we're using is created and sourced. Um, and we have plans to do a lot more different kind of educational things. We want to get into see how liquor kind of works, how wine works, because those are also, Pink Boots is opened up to anyone in the fermented alcohol industry. So now it's not just craft beer. Mm-hmm. Yep. We hopped. I we was just going to say, you can't forget the hop yeah. harvest. Oh, Yeah. yeah. I forgot about that because yeah, that's just a part of my life. <laughs> yeah, we learned, we did hop harvest, so we got to see Pam mentioned earlier the amount of time, effort, and like love that it goes into a glass of beer. But just picking the hops, just that is so time-consuming, and it is a labor of love just to make sure that your hops are growing right. I mean, we have a horticulturist, uh, Claire, who is out there picking the hops and making sure that they're at the right moisture content and then gathering everyone together and making sure that the lupulin is good. We send it off to labs. There's a lot that goes into just growing hops. Mm-hmm. And I know it hasn't been really, I mean, at least the people like to mention how like in New York, it hasn't been done as much. So it's always kind of interesting to hear in places where it actually does happen. So, um, and the amount of work and complications that can go into it. And fun fact, New York was the largest yeah. purveyor yep. of like hop cultivation before prohibition. I mean, like this was a place mm. that we were supplying the hops to the world. And like, I think that we lose our history so much just like as the tides turn and you don't realize how like policy can actually like decimate an entire industry. But I think, and I think there's a misnomer for all of us as being a partial at least farm beer. You can make great New York state farm beer. Yep. Like it is, it is crazy to think that you can't source ingredients locally that will make amazing beer and that yeah we pay a little more for it but I think supporting like local agriculture and bringing us back to that heyday is like an important thing that we have to consider which could probably segue us into the think pink drink pink collaboration that we uh, were currently sipping on because that also 
correct me if I'm wrong, is a New York State Farm beer, correct? 100%. 100%. 100%. Wow. Excluding the yeast, which is not counted as an ingredient toward that situation. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, 100% so, New York State. I knew that was made kind of in correlation with International Women's Day and the uh, New York State CBC. Tell me about how that uh, kind of came into fruition, that we actually have these bright pink yellow cans well so we had spoken to common roots because they have a great big beautiful 30 barrel system and we wanted to do something where it could be a lot of the breweries involved with pink boots where they could all come and collaborate and be represented for this beer and then be able to sell it in their tap rooms so common roots they have several members within pink boots and they were they were very gracious in allowing us to come in and, and utilize their system i worked with a couple other brewers and came up with a recipe and uh we essentially sourced all the ingredients and yeah we decided hey you know it'll be kind of perfect and of course this i think this is one thing that, <laughs> that women tend to do is We'll come, we'll have this idea, hey, you know it would be great, but you only have like a month to put it together. <laughs> oh. And and we had been talking about doing this beer, and I was like, hey, We're not busy enough. No. We really like to <laughs> like add, like, we let's need to cram more on that shit. Fire. <laughs> let's cram more shit into our schedule. Um, it was like, hey, so International Women's Day is March, it's, was it 8th or 8th, right? International Women's Day is March 8th. The New York State CBC is going to be happening that same week. How cool would it be if we could make an all-New York State beer for our collab and promote it at CBC and really show what the upstate women can do? And that's kind of how it came to be. Yeah, women are so extra. Like, we don't <laughs> half-ass anything. It really could. I was explaining to people... Um, we got there at the brew, like Sometimes the brew day started. Sometimes to detriment. We know that. I know, it's a problem. <laughs> it was 7 a.m. and there were 15 women there at Collab Day. And if you've ever been to any other collaboration brew day, it's like maybe the brewers kind of waltz in at the mash out and kind of drink like eight beers and talk shit all day. But like, there's no real brewing happening. Totally. <laughs> well, it's um, one time. And so, especially for the big ones, it's like, let's take a photo at some time around noon. Mm -hmm. But like, there were so many women that were there right at 7 a.m. because they wanted to like learn, participate, be a part of it. It was an opportunity to check out like Common Roots, like 30 barrel system and the automation. And it was like, it was like incredible to see that. And I think, and then in conjunction with all this, it was like moving a million cats. Mm -hmm. It was so funny because we're like, leverage this opportunity, leverage this opportunity, which is awesome. I think what's amazing about women in this workspace is like, you know, there was lunch, there was icebreakers. We did some yoga, we did some brewing. It was just like a full, full day of like a lot of networking and relationship building and learning. And I think sometimes I wish we could just kind of phone it in sometimes because I'm all I, tired. I would, I, love to, I would love to phone it in. Also, I did phone it in. I showed up around noon because I have been to collaborations before and I was not as overly excited and eager. I was like, I know how this works. I'm like, oh, everyone got here before me. Oops. So I guess, obviously, we've talked about what you guys have done going forward now. Like, you, you, you did the collaboration beer. You guys have done the various kind of field trips. But what does it look like for the future? What... 
what's sort of the goals or at least what do you guys hope to accomplish going forward too with the pink boot society (laughs) honestly i feel like we haven't we haven't done a lot of thinking about what we're going to do future wise like where where we want to see the chapter it's been growing so fast uh and and we've done so many amazing things that it yeah we and as as we just talked about what pam mentioned is we're extra and so <laughs> we're like all right well, if we're gonna do this we're going full on we're just gonna make it happen 100 yeah. percent um so you know that that is what the future looks like i think hopefully a little bit more organized maybe <laughs> but yeah uh i think i think just doing more doing more to support women in the industry and 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 I also want to collaborate with the other chapters within New York State. Um, now her name is escaping me from Prison City. Dawn, wonderful, wonderful person. So she and her husband own Prison City um, out in Auburn. And they do a Pink Boots collab day. They had like 80 women. It was insane how many people they had. And they do all sorts of cool things. I'm like, hey, I, we should talk to them and like, you know, do some, maybe do some cross chapter things or, you know, get on the same page with other chapters in New York state of what are, what are some of the cool things that we can do Just share some of the ideas that, that we're all kind of doing to, to make sure that all of our membership can take advantage of the amazing things that, that we all randomly think of. I think in 10 years in New York, I think the craft beer industry looks different. I think that there are more women owned breweries. I think there are more representation of brewers that are women I think that and the way that we get there and is that yes our chapter will grow I think we'll do collaborations and Erica has really been a lot of the heart song around like scholarships so I think Mm. we have to build like we're creating a network that is going to continue to grow for support right so we're going to build a network of women who are already in the industry then we're going to try to work on building a pathway for women to get into the industry and I think this is for women and for underrepresented marginalized communities like getting into beer is really difficult like if you don't see yourself in beer, if you don't have a pathway, if you don't have an entry, if you don't even know how to get in the door, it's incredibly difficult to like take that leap of faith. And so I think that you're going to see with the growth in our network, with access through scholarships to like the brewing program, to internships, um, that that representation will shift. And I think ultimately um, what, what I'd like to see, and this is like big pie in the sky, is like you begin to change the narrative of women in 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 beer that women are owners that they are brewers that they know what they're talking about and that that radical shift though takes time and happens person to person it happens brewery to brewery and that even though we have we're we're very fortunate because we're all in positions of leadership in companies that are incredibly progressive in their vision and policy around inclusivity that is not necessarily the case right our membership goes from owners and CEOs to just front house staff, like back of house staff, like it represent all roles and they all deserve and should feel safe and supported within their own, within their own companies. And I think we have a long way to go. Um, but through, through the work of Pink Boots and through the work that we're going to continue to do to raise more funds, grow the network, um, and change the conversation, I think we're, we're really, we have a strong foundation to start with. Mm. 
So the one thing that it just kind of popped in my head, though, as you guys were kind of talking about that, sort of like what you hope the future accomplishments was. And this probably could have been a question in terms of a timeline. Probably would have been good to ask out front. But the one thing I am curious, though, is when you do get sort of a sec, let's just say men in power and or just really anyone in power and you just start to kind of do something that may sort of shift that that may sort of kind of mess with that a little bit, just sort of that structure. What does the backlash look like in terms of trying to do something like this? Or have you guys faced, Have you? what have you guys faced or have you faced any? I mean, because that's what I'm kind of curious about because like you do hear about it elsewhere and I'm not saying that this is like this perfect little world up here where we don't have that, but I guess I am curious, was, is that faced at all or do you hear anything? Do you, social media can be just like bereft of just like absolute toxicity but have you guys witnessed that at all, just sort of in trying to start this and push forward with this? I mean, I think that it would be naive to say that there isn't some level of pushback. I think we haven't seen it. I think people are smart enough to keep it off social media <laughs> at this point. No one's that smart. Yeah. <laughs> but I think in general at this point, especially in the beer community, I don't think anyone's going to put it on social media if they think that we're talking too loud or taking up too much space. Um, but for the most part, the majority of people are very excited and breweries have been pushing the women that are in that community to like come. We've had brewers be like, oh, I need to sign up my staff right now. Like, this is so great. I want them to be a part of this. So I think overall, there might be some people who are nervous because maybe their view is a little... Um, old school and not with the times but I think the majority of people are excited about this all right so I'm the radical from Berkeley I'm just gonna say it yeah there's a bunch of assholes this is what I wanted thank you Pam this is what I wanted I don't not really that's terrible I don't have roots here and I'm really we're the new guy on the block no I will will say yeah it's you know here's the thing there's a long way to go and I think that we it, it is easy to have the outward message that we are an inclusive space. It is so much harder to actually put that policy into practice and train your staff. So yeah, are our front, are our front of house staff still protected from sexual harassment? Hell no. And But yet we can control our culture within our organization, but how do we communicate that to the assholes who come into our tap room? And, and, and you know, the other day, these old guys were like, oh, you need a strong man to like lift that keg for your girl to our GM who's sitting right over there. And I was like, no, boo, she's a fucking physical therapist and can bench like whatever. She can do that herself. She doesn't need you or a man to help her. So I think that there's that. I will say there's also a lot of, you know, I think that, you can say you're an inclusive place and you want a partner. Um, you can want to collaborate with Pink Boots. And then also you treat women in power as people you're afraid of. And mm-hmm. like, I think when power yeah. shifts and power is in your face and you don't know how to hold that, I'm not you know, thinking of anyone in particular, but yeah, in you know, general. I think that in general, it is very, it is hard. That is, that's something this country and our world is facing at large is a shift and a reckoning of like putting it in front of your face. Like what is the reality of our, of where we are in this space and time? And it's hard for people. Like it is really hard to mm-hmm. look in your face and see what am I doing? What are my biases? How am I showing up in the world? Um, and I think as a country, we're faced with that every day. And it's, it's, it's really challenging and it's not easy 
um, but it is the first step. Um, and the more that we can do, and I think what, um, you know, I think what Jeff, what Scotty, what Brett do really well is like, <clears throat> they put, um, can put their partners first and are okay being kind of in the background in some spaces, but then also 100% support where we're going, like what the agenda is and moving towards this inclusive space. And I think that that is also, there's a time and space for allyship and partnership in this work. And it, it is it is so real and it's so in our face and we all just have to like get with it. Well, and um, it's a lot of work. Cause I mean, I know you yeah. mentioned that Scott is good at it, but the truth is that he's not always good at it and he mm -hmm. works really hard mm -hmm. and he mm -hmm. understands mm -hmm. when I ha I'm telling, when I'm like, listen, put down the mic, it's my turn. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah, so he's trying, but yeah. like, right. it's hard. So if he ha is married to a woman in power who is kind of directing him to, no, you got to share this space, and it's hard for him. I imagine that there are a lot of men who don't have that. Well, and I think I think it it comes down to so brewing is a brewing and probably any fermented beverage industry is very male heavy, and much more so than any other industry that I could possibly think like corporate world is that's it seems fairly 50 50 like when mm -hmm. I think back to my days there it yeah it was pretty much half and half men and women but I think because it is so male dominated in our industries that men will tend to go to what their comfort zone is and that's other that's other men that's mm -hmm. their bros right they're they are not going to necessarily want to speak with a woman in power because it makes them wildly uncomfortable and they'll they'll try to circumvent if they can and try to talk to a different person as long as it's a male about xyz situation um but i think that that needs to be that well I don't think that it needs to be, it needs to be challenged. And people like, people like Scott and Jeff and Brett, they are absolutely 100% trying to change that paradigm, but it's, it's difficult for them too, because they're, they're trying to learn that shift and, and also trying to learn how to speak to it if they see or hear it happen. And I think that's the biggest, that's the biggest thing that we need from men in general is if they see or hear an action or a communication or whatever that isn't collaborative with a woman in power within the industry or in life in general speak up say something don't just accept it because that that's the problem that right there is the problem mm -hmm. Thank you guys again for taking the time out of, as you guys said, you take on a lot of shit. So this is just another thing to take another hour and what, 15 minutes to chat. So thank you guys again so much uh, for the conversation. Hopefully it's enlightening for everyone else in some sort of way. But thank you guys again. Thanks for having thank us. You. Thank you for putting thank it together. Cheers. Love it.